Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Will Richardson here in San Francisco. Welcome to the Crusheration Podcast. Today, I'm excited to be with Lars Tandrup. Uh, Lars is a partner at a large consulting firm. He lives in Salt Lake City primarily, and he's also an endurance athlete. And, and Lars, I'm really excited today to have you talk about uh, your story, uh, the experience, and some lessons you've learned from, from adversity that, that happened that we'll get into a little bit. Uh, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I know there's another podcast you're on that we'll reference here as well for people that, that want more of the background, but it'd be great if you could tell us a bit about, you know, what happened uh, when you were uh, in Santa Rosa with your, with your home there. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so my story, my story really begins on, uh, on October 9th, uh, 2017. Um, some people familiar with, uh, with, with Northern California will probably recognize that date as the date of the top fire. Uh, what happened to me and my wife is that we were we were living in a um, in a newly built uh, house, uh, uh, very nice location just outside of Santa Rosa. Um, and very early on the morning of October 9th, we got waking up or, or, or we got woken up by a phone call, uh, and that was our neighbor calling us to to. Uh, to just ask if we had already evacuated, and my wife and I were sleeping, um, sleeping inside. We had no idea what was going on, um, but it but it turned out that we were in the middle of one of the largest wildfires that that we've seen out here. Um, uh, we very quickly uh, got out of bed, obviously, and and uh, realized that 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 literally everything was burning. Uh, outside of our house, our house was on fire on the outside, um, and um, we, 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 yeah, we kind of got into a little bit of a, I don't know how to describe it best, a little bit of a panic state. It was, it, right, it was sort of one of those experiences where, where reflexes really took over. Uh, right, what, what I remember was that. I really didn't feel like I was I was thinking a whole lot or I was processing a whole lot. It was sort of it was sort of reaction based on based on instinct and reflexes. So we ran out of the house very quickly. Realized that the garage was already uh, gone, so we couldn't get any of our cars out. And and again, the only the only option for us was was basically to run uh, three quarters of a mile through the wildfire. Uh, to at least try to get to safety um, and that experience was I mean it was exactly as bad as as, as you would imagine it it, it it to be I mean everything was on fire trees and and uh, bushes the wind was extremely strong which you know fueled the fire um, there were embers and uh, you know burning branches you know flying around in the air um, uh, and the sound was I mean the sound was deafening it was almost it was almost like being right next to kind of a jet engine it was very very loud um, and I really and I really don't remember a whole lot from 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 kind of running running out other than other than two specific times when I was when I was running through the wildfire. The first time 
was when I realized that I didn't, I hadn't put any shoes on. So I was running, running on, I was running on bare feet, uh, just wearing my pajamas. And I suddenly, I suddenly realized pain um, because I was running on, uh, you know, I was running on fire. I was running on, on, um, uh, you know, branches climbing over small trees that had fallen down in the wind that were on fire. And I just realized suddenly this this really intense uh, pain in my feet um and that was really the first time i i my sense of time is a little is a little distorted so 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 it could have been you know five minutes after we left the house it could have been 15 minutes after we left the house but it was really the first time where i remember having the thought that I most likely am probably not going to make it out of this alive. And I remember having the thought that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I should just sit down. Maybe I should just give up. Maybe I should just, just kind of, kind of, kind of give in to something that felt uh, so vast and so powerful. And in, in some ways it made me feel really, really small and, and vulnerable and insignificant. Um, but there was something, there was something inside of me that kind of, that kind of, you know, that kind of clicked a little bit and said, I, I am not going to give up without a fight. So I kept running. Um, and a little bit later, I got to, I got to a metal bridge that I had to, that I had to cross uh, to get out to the main road. Um, and, and. That was that was the second time where I had a very similar experience. I realized that my pajamas had caught fire, so so I tried to kind of get that off of my body as I as I continued to run. Breathing was extremely difficult with all the smoke and all the fire, and I could I and I could begin to feel kind of the heat impacting my breathing and 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 uh, and my throat, and also just the ability to just breathe oxygen just just became really, really difficult. And that was the second time where, where I realized kind of that, that pain, especially in my left foot. I remember looking down at my foot and, and seeing something that looks, yeah, the vision that I, that I still have today is that it looked, looked almost like a black sole from a running shoe, but it was sort of sitting on the side of my foot. And for a second or or two, I had that I had that weird sensation that I, that that my brain really could not process what I was seeing until I suddenly realized that that was the soul, right? It was the skin on my left foot that had melted and burned and 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 sort of had slidden up and and was almost on the on the inside of my foot, and and I made the decision to just not look at it anymore. Um, I got my pajamas out, and I somehow managed to get uh, over that bridge uh, that was that was incredibly hot, and managed to get out finally to a to a main traffic road um, where I then tried to flag down a car. Uh, the fire was right, the fire was much much larger in in, in terms of area. Then of, then, of course, I realized, so there were people fleeing uh, the fire, right? There were, I think there were five or 6,000 homes left. Uh, people, people were panicking. The first car that I tried to flag down drove right, 
drove right by me. Um, and, and, and I still remember that kind of being a shock that, that as soon as I saw the car lights, I thought that I was saved. And I still remember making visual contact with that driver and just seeing, just seeing the panic or seeing the desperation in her face as she, as she sped right, right past me. Um, but then I managed to kind of flag down the second car by, by basically jumping out in front of it because, because the one thing I remember was that I, I, just, could not, I just could not stay here. Right? I, I mean, I really had to get inside of a car. So without thinking about the danger of really jumping out in front of a car, that's what I did. I jumped out in the middle of, in the, middle of the road and forced them to stop and jumped in and, and got them to take me to the emergency room. Um, and that was, that was really, I think, I think later, I think, I think my wife and I realized that that was roughly 25 minutes later. Uh, so it took us quite a bit of time to kind of get through the fire. Um, and, and when I, when I was, when I was, uh, when I was brought into the emergency room, that was really the first time that my brain sort of relaxed a little bit. And that was the first time I remember, I remember feeling safe suddenly and remember just, I mean, just, you know, tremendous relief uh, that I somehow managed to kind of escape and actually get to at least relative safety. So before that, I mean, had you ever had a thought in your mind that a wildfire might be something that you would be dealing with, you know, right there at your house? No, no, no. I, I, um, I mean, both my wife and I, but also our friends, right? Obviously, we have a lot of friends that, that lived in the same area <clears throat> that, that, that lost their homes too. Um, a lot of them got early warning, so they were able to evacuate a little bit early in the night. <clears throat> but none of us, none of us had really thought about uh, that something like this could happen, right? I think, I think the people even who have lived here for, you know, 40, 50 years, uh, we, we had been dealing with, you know, some smaller vegetation fires, etc., but nothing, nothing on this scale and, and, um, and, you know, magnitude, right? This was, this was, uh, this was bigger and, 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 and worse. And I think more impactful than I think, than I think any of us uh, had even, had even envisioned. Yeah, I mean, this, this was many, many different times you, you escaped death. I mean, it could have, could have happened probably that whole 25 minutes at any, at any second. And, and who knows, the second car may not have stopped. And I mean, it sounds like something right out of a movie or you're, you're, you're jumping out in front of a car because that was basically the only, the only choice you had. I mean, it's like, it sounds like your, your instincts just kept kicking in at the right time. It's not like you had training for this, you know, no one did. Right, right, exactly. That, that, like I, yeah, like I said in the beginning, right. I don't know if "interesting" is the right word, but it was, it was interesting uh, in some odd way. I think to kind, of, to kind of experience how, yeah, how, like I said in the beginning, that I really didn't feel like I was processing, like mentally processing input. I, I, I really didn't feel like I was making decisions by like we would normally do right by by weighing my two options or my three options and and what are the pros and what are the cons right this was 
this was an experience where, I mean, my instincts really took over, right? The combination of, I think, adrenaline to kind of, to kind of keep me going, right? Suppress, suppress pain. And then something that was just very, very, yeah, very instinctual, very, very, right? Deep down inside of all of us, I think, right? When we are in this, um, right? When we are in this fight or flight situation where your life is in danger, then you must, um, I think you muster resources. And I think I, and I think I mustered resources uh, that I didn't even know existed, um, right? Whether, whether it was dealing with the pain or whether it was making quick decisions, um, right? That, that really didn't feel like, feel like decisions, but that turned out, right? That turned out honestly, honestly saving my life that night. Do you think some of your training, I mean, and, and for, for everybody listening, Lars has uh, competed in Ironman triathlons and, and all kinds of really um, ultra, you know, type of sporting events. And, and for those of you that don't know, the, the Ironman has a, a swim and a biking event that are very long, and then you run a marathon <laughs> after doing those other two things. So are there similarities like when you're, I don't know, let's say 10 miles into the marathon, not thinking you can go the next 16, do you think you were drawing on similar things uh, that you drew on in sports? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think, I do think that that helped me probably in a couple of different ways. I think, I think dealing, dealing with the, dealing with the physical pain, I think was something that I remember that I remember kind of processing a little bit as I was running and as I was experiencing the pain, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, of course, it's, it was pain at a very different level than, you know, pain halfway through a marathon in an Ironman event. But, but the ability to deal with it, the ability to not be overwhelmed by feeling pain, the ability to be to be relatively comfortable being uncomfortable, uh, right? So, so, so the physical aspect of it and, and the belief that I somewhere had that I was able to, that I can keep going, uh, right? Those two time, times that I stopped where there was something inside of me that, that really kind of wanted to give up and to wanted to just sit down and just put an end to it. There was something. There was something inside of it. There was something inside of me that I think was a little bit fueled by some of that experience. That I, I, I can. I right. I can physically get through this. And then there was another aspect I think, which was which was much which was much more of a mindset. Um, uh, you know, mindset aspect of it, both running out, but also in kind of the process immediately after the fire, uh, the ability to kind of mentally deal with, with, um, yeah, with kind of the worst situation that anybody can, can, can find themselves in, right? Where, where there's so much, uh, there's so much pressure, pressure, there's so much stress, there's so much adversity, um, and I think I was able to draw on some of that too, uh, right? And really, and really try to stay, try to stay as calm as I could, and try to really kind of think about, uh, you know, what is my, what are my options? What, what can I really control here, and what can, and what is completely outside of my control? 
and then the ability the ability to act on that right like like i said in the beginning it didn't feel it didn't feel like i was i kind of had the luxury of time or the luxury of really thinking but i think there was something mindset wise where i was able to draw on some of those racing experience or or you know honestly for that matter training experiences right where going through some really hard races or going or or just right i have i have for years and years and years i have i have i have i have trained my body uh, to do certain things right and to and to overcome um you know difficult difficult things right whether that's a hard bike set or run or swim or 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 you know things like that so so yes i absolutely think that i was able to draw on that I also, I also, on the other, on the other hand, though, I also think it's important to say that I'm not, I'm not special. I am not, I am not unique in any sense, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a gifted triathlete. Uh, I did not grow up as a, uh, uh, you know, super endurance uh, sports kid. Uh, right? I was honestly never really good at, at you know, any at any particular sports. Uh, uh, physically, I'm not. I'm not particularly gifted. Uh, you know, mentally, I don't think I'm particularly gifted. Uh, but I have. But I have. But I have learned. I have learned to control what I can control. I have. I have really learned to focus on uh, doing what I can to get better at the things that I want to get better at. And I think the reason why it's important for me to underline that. I'm not gifted that I'm not unique is that I think as we get further into this conversation and some of the things that I've learned, I want, I want your listeners to realize that this is something we can all do. This is, this is, this is, this is not something I learned or that I'm able to do now or the things that, that, um, that, that, that I got out of it is not because I'm unique. It is something that we all have access to. Well, that's a great point, you know, and one of the things that, that I remember you shared with me was, you know, so when you, when you knew you were okay, when you were at the emergency room, you knew your wife was okay, like, what was the dominant emotion or feeling that you had, you know, pretty early on after, after getting out of danger? Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, it was interesting. I want to say the first 24 hours, um, the dominant feeling was... I was honestly a bit of a mess, uh, uh, right? I'm sitting, I'm sitting, right? I'm sitting in a hospital room um, uh, and just and just trying to process what just happened. Uh, and I think and I think it was a mix of every single emotion, including actually, honestly, for the first 24 hours, a little bit of anger uh, and 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 a little bit of kind of feeling a little bit like a victim, which probably is understandable. Um, but the biggest surprise was that it took me roughly 24 hours to get to a point where the, where the overarching feeling was gratitude. Um, and I was, I was honestly not prepared for that. Uh, right? it was a very, it was a very positive experience, but, but I was, I was very quickly able to kind of focus on, um, being grateful that you know my wife and I made it out of the house alive, 
uh, grateful for, uh, you know, the phone call that our neighbor decided to place uh, because she saved our lives. Grateful for the fact that she did it at that time and not 20 minutes later when it probably would have been too late. Uh, grateful for the fact that I think it was roughly 30 minutes later, the Verizon cell phone tower that that call came in through uh, when right just stopped working. So if she had if she had called us later, I wouldn't have received the phone call. I was grateful that that my daughter had moved to college uh, six weeks earlier so that she did not have to go through it. Um, so I was able to I was able to find some small things and in the beginning they really were small things that I was able to kind of attach a little bit of gratitude towards and say and say that's what I that's what I want to try to focus on. Um, and I made and I made a and I remember making a very conscious decision to really try as hard as I could to center my attention and my focus and my thoughts around those small things. And in the beginning, in the beginning, they seemed really insignificant, right? They're, they're even, I think, objectively, there was probably more stuff to be upset about than to be grateful for. But, but, I, re but I really remember the feeling of just just those tiny small bits that I could kind of cling on to, and just try to at least and and it was and it was incredibly difficult. But but you know try to kind of turn my mind to those three or four positive things. Well, it's interesting. You know, you even you told me the other day that in a way you view it, the experience as a gift. You know, the the gift of, of adversity and and you know, that mindset. It sounds like that that started with finding the positive, right? You're, you're in pain, you're here in the hospital, your house just burned down and you were able to find some positives in that. I mean, um, tell us a little bit about what is your, your thought process on this idea of adversity giving us opportunity? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I do believe now, uh, right, that while, while I wouldn't wish an experience like this on anybody, um, I, I do believe that this experience for me gave me an opportunity to learn something about myself, to grow, to, to basically reset my life uh, because there was an outside force when I was faced with, with some pretty dramatic adversity um, that basically put me in a position where, where it, was it was almost like there were two paths that I could take after that. Right? When, you, when you wake up, like I said, in a hospital bed and you realize that everything, everything is gone, right? Your house is gone, your cars are gone, all the things that, 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 that we owned were gone with the exception of the glasses that I was still wearing. Uh, that was really the only thing that made it out of the fire. And... And I've, so it's been, it's been three and a half years now. And, and I've spent a lot of time uh, thinking about and processing, uh, especially the role of adversity, right? And we all, we all go through life facing adversity. We all luckily do not have to run 
do a wildfire to save our lives, but we all in our lifetime will face adversity, right? Whether that's dealing with cancer, uh, whether it's, whether it's uh, you know, sickness or illness in your immediate family, whether it is, you know, divorce, whether it's, you know, losing, losing, losing your job or losing a loved one, we will all, we will all face adversity. And, and I think adversity is an opportunity I would almost say is always an opportunity to grow and to learn. And I think it's important. <clears throat> and I think it's important to realize that, uh, that there is, there is something positive that we can, that we can take out of being under pressure or, or, you know, dealing with stress, dealing with, dealing with, uh, dealing with adversity. And I almost, I almost equated a little bit to, to the analogy of when we do physical training, right? The way that the way that our muscles grow stronger is that is that we put them through a little bit of adversity, right? We put them through a little bit of stress, right? We lift some weights or we go out and run. So so we put some we put some pressure against, right? And put some stress against our muscles. And it's the combination of that stress plus recovery after the exercise that really makes Right, creates the positive adaptation that then that then makes you that then makes you stronger. And I think there's a <clears throat> I think there's a very very similar process in terms of mindset. Right, that the adversity that I experienced uh, plus my ability or my focus on then kind of trying to deal with it, trying to recover from it. Um, that created a lot of growth and a lot of learning experiences that I, as, as weird as that sounds, right, that I almost consider a little bit of a gift today um, because I was able to draw something positive and I was able to, right, I was honestly able to change my life as a result of that experience. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of intentionality in there, and the you know the way that you your your mindset, the way that you're you're looking back on it, and the lessons you're having, and you know it sounds like you're you're even thinking about you know work and life and things like retirement a little bit differently. I mean, how do you? Yeah. And you know, I know the the world you're in, uh, you know, involves a lot of travel, long hours. You're, you're somehow training for Ironman competitions and all that, so. You know, give us a little bit of a of a perspective of how do you, how did you think about work and life before versus yeah. after? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll give you a couple of flavors of how I think I've probably changed. Um, I was going to say a little bit, but in many ways, I think I've actually probably changed quite significantly. <clears throat> right? I used to be, I used to be honestly, I used to be very focused on 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 myself, uh, right? I used to be very career-driven, used to be very focused on my work. I probably, to a certain degree, kind of identified with what I was doing for work, uh, right? I, 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 liked, I liked being successful. I liked, um, I liked kind of, uh, uh, you know, the type of work that I did. I liked feeling busy. I liked feeling, feeling, uh, feeling, feeling important um uh at work and and after this experience because i was right because in a certain sense when you lose everything and you right again i why right, i go back to that to that hospital bed 
um, when you're sitting in a hospital bed stripped of everything, um, that forces, right, 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 it forced me to kind of re-evaluate almost everything, right? It focused really to, right, it focused, um, it focused me on kind of thinking about my life and what was really important to me. And in that process, a couple, right, a couple of, a couple of things changed for me. Um, the first thing was that, was that this really is not about me, right? The experience that we're talking about here today is really, I mean, it's really not about me, right? I'm not, I'm not talking to you today because of me. I'm, I'm right. We're having this conversation because I think that I've been able to learn something that I hope others can draw from. That I that I really hope others that go through adversity, whatever shape, whatever form that in, that people can get a little bit right, a small tidbit, or at least see the light at the end of the tunnel, or maybe pick up a tool or two. Um, that will help them through whatever their version of adversity is. So instead of being so focused on me, the last three and a half years, honestly, both at work, but also increasingly personally, has been about, right, it's been about helping others. It's been about uh, giving back. It's been about being of service uh, to others. And, and, and I haven't found the ideal way of doing it, and it's still and it's still a process. Um, but I found myself at work, uh, you know, volunteering to give small talks about mindset or uh, staying fit, staying healthy, uh, you know, nutrition, recovery, in an attempt to really, yeah, like I said before, try to help people, try to share my experience so that others can benefit from what I think I learned, right? So my focus has really shifted from kind of this being about me to being about others, right? And me helping, uh, me helping others. And I, think, and I think there are, I think there are a lot of different flavors of that, honestly. Um, uh, one, one example is that I, I used to be relatively active on Facebook. Uh, right? that, was, that was my social media uh, thing, which probably dates me a little bit. Um, but now when I look back at how I used Facebook back then, it was, it was something that I'm not particularly proud of, right? It was, it was posting about my fantastic travel that came through, right? Came, came through the job that I had, right? I had, I, had, I had weeks and weeks and weeks of, you know, traveling four or five days every single week. I slept in a different hotel every night. Um, and I used social media to kind of try to portray that as, you know, look at the wonderful life I'm living. Look at me, I'm in Manhattan today, and then I'm in Vancouver, Canada tomorrow, and then I'll be in Dallas, Texas the day after tomorrow. In reality, in reality, it was something that I that I suffered a little bit from, right? The the lack of sleep, the 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 inability to really get uh, uh, you know to really get my training done in any consistent way. Uh, I I didn't eat uh, nearly as well as I do today, but I somehow portrayed it as look at this wonderful life. And my training and my racing was a little bit of the same, right? That I was that I was posting about. Oh, you know, I just went out and did a 
you know, 120 mile bike ride and look at me and the sun is shining. And, and in reality, that really didn't reflect uh, how I was feeling about it, uh, right? Because the travel stressed me out and I was tired. And when you get to Manhattan, right, to the hotel at 2 a.m. in the morning, and I know I have to get up at 6, that's not, that's not positive. Um, so I decided, I decided to kind of break up with that, right? And say, I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to put something out in the world that I cannot stand behind. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to try to be a beacon that people can look at and say, and say, there was a lesson here that I think I can use, right? Again, going back to whatever, whatever people deal with out there. Like we all, we, like I said before, we all go through struggles um, and we all have an opportunity to turn it into something that you can learn from and that you can, that you, that you will basically use, that you'll basically use in a positive way. And that's how I, that's how I honestly today look at adversity. I think the I think the pandemic. I think the pandemic is another is another good example of that, uh, right? When everything shut down in March last year, I tried very quickly to look at it as an opportunity, right? I did not have to travel suddenly four days a week, so instead of instead of feeling feeling uh, sorry for myself or instead of taking on a little bit of a victim mentality and victim role. I turned it into something where I focused very similar to right after the fire, right? I focused on, I can sleep in my own bed every night. I can be more consistent with my training. Um, I eat better. I spend more time with my family. Uh, and those things were really, really important to me. And then there are things that I'm going to have to figure out work-wise, how to serve my clients without being physically in the office. But that part of it, I'll figure out. Uh, and then, and then, really cling on to kind of again this 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 concept of you know adversity is an opportunity for me to learn something about myself and to and to actually improve my life um, if I look at it with kind of a slightly longer like slightly slightly longer term lens. Yeah, it's interesting when you think about the Facebook post. I mean, do you think part of it? Like part of what you're saying is, hey, you know what, it, it wasn't really the way it was portrayed there. And it sounds like another part of it, was it a distraction for you to, to, to create that, you know, that narrative and, and put it out there? Are you saying, you know, it's basically social media, it's good to have a break from it? Or are you saying that some of the, you're, you're still putting things out, but it, you, you feel better about what you're putting out today? I, I, well, I have not, I don't think I've put anything out in the last, in the last three and a half years at all. Uh, not on not on the social media platforms, uh, right? I really I have really so 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 probably a couple of things. I became aware that what I was putting out was not was not who I wanted to be, and it was and it was not a positive contribution to anybody else's life, right? So that that made me stop. And then I think what I have done uh, is that I found a different way where I can have a more personal conversation, a more personal impact and sharing what I really want to share, right? The conversation we are having today is a good example of that. 
or the meetings with my teams at work or sometimes with clients where, where I talk a little bit about my story and, I, and, and talk about my learnings uh, coming out of it to try to share something that is much more authentic and that is much, much more meaningful. And again, not centered on me, but centered on, centered on probably, probably the way I would describe it is that through kind of trying to be the best version of me that I can be every day, which is, which is difficult. And of course, I don't get it right every single time, but through trying to be the best version of me that I can be, try to be that beacon or try to be that, that, that rock or that cliff or that point that somebody else can use. If I can write my purpose or my North Star of what I want to be and the impact that I want to have has changed dramatically, right? From being kind of very inward focused and about my, you know, success and my, uh, you know, job and, and my identity to really being outward focused, right? To say, if I, if I through, through, through doing me or through being me, if I can influence one other person, if I can help one other person through some of the adversity that, that, like I said, everybody is going to have to struggle with at some point, that is infinitely more meaningful than anything that is centered around me and my success at work or family or sports. It sounds like you're having, you're having more fun. You know, you're still productive at work. You're getting things done. It sounds like you're enjoying it more. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's the, that is really the interesting part, right? Is that the more, the, the more I focus on what I just said, the more fun I'm having, right? The more, the more, the more genuine I feel the more authentic uh, does, this, does this really feel like, right? It's almost, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's odd, but the more, the more I focus on helping others, the more I focus on, on not helping myself, the, the more I actually get out of it personally, right? It, all, it honestly almost feels like cheating a little bit sometimes that, that, that right? And I've had this conversation with my wife and with my daughter, right, very often say the best thing you can do for yourself is to do something for others. Even, even if you're helping others because you know that, that it's going to make you feel better, right, that feels a little bit like cheating, but it's still a positive. You're still, you're still helping other people. Um, and, I think, and I think we are, right, deep down, we are very social beings, right? I think the pandemic has probably taught a lot of you that, right? That, that suddenly, suddenly when your social interactions stop or at least get very, very limited, I think, I think a lot of people struggled with that because I, think, because I think we naturally just are very, very socially oriented, right? We're very tribal um, in nature. And I, think, and I think the social aspect in our friends and our family uh, they, they, that is just, that is very, very, very important to all of us. Well, you know, it's interesting. I know one of the things that I, that I wrote down in my notes from our, uh, our last discussion was the idea that, you know, you're not focused on what others think or what they think you should be doing. Um, what are some of the shifts that you, I mean, you're focused on helping. It sounds like you're, 
it, you're not focused on what others think or want you to do, but you're focused on how you can help people. And it's, it's yeah. caused uh, everything else to get better. Yeah. 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 There are, uh, I mean, I think there are so many examples of that, honestly, right? I mean, at work two years ago, I basically redefined what my role was uh, at work. I used to be part of a slightly larger practice. I used to be one of the leaders in that practice and I was participating and I was helping. Um, but two years ago, I, I, I went to my bosses and I said, I'm going, I'm going to start a new small little business uh, within the firm that I work on. Here is what I'm going to do. Here is my ambition. I had, I had no idea whether that was going to work or not. Um, and that was, and it was very obvious to me that, that this is a little bit of a risk. Um, but but I had an idea and I really believed, at least to a certain degree, that this, that this could work out, right? So, so, I, so I decided to kind of put myself out there a little bit. And then I found some really good people within the firm that were excited about this idea and uh, brought them over to that business unit and then say, and then, and then really try to kind of create something. Uh, right and say we're going to do this we're going to build it into something that is pretty significant in the beginning I honestly think my leadership team looked at it and said that's cute uh, right we I don't even know if they believe that this that this would be successful or not but I but I'm but I am but I'm eternally grateful that they that they either had enough belief in me or that they were at least humoring me enough to say go ahead go ahead and try it um, and, and, and it's probably the most fun that I've had at work in a very, very long time, uh, right? And it has, been, it has been incredibly difficult, right? The easy, the easy choice would have been to stay where I was and to, just, and to just continue doing that, right? I was good at it, right? And, and, and it paid the bills and everything was fine, but... but but I, but I had that drive to kind of put myself out there. I, had, I really had that, that kind of genuine feeling of this is, this is something that I'm passionate about. And, and there was also probably an aspect of, you know, it was really, right, it was really motivated by something that came from inside of me, right? That I, I wanted to try to see if I could really do this, if I could really realize it. There probably also are some athletic, uh, right? Some athletic uh, examples of that, where I think honestly, part of the reason why I like sort of doing long course endurance stuff, right? Ironman, triathlon, etc. Um, there's something, there's something very similar there, where where I where I like. I like to put myself in situations that I'm not a hundred percent sure that I'll be successful in. Um, and when I when I started when I started triathlon racing, I mean, I literally swore that I would never do an Ironman. I, I thought I thought it was just for crazy people. And I also right because of what I said before, <laughs> I have I have never I've never been a gifted athlete. I have never I have never excelled in anything. And I had the belief, which I now, which I now realize is wrong, but but I had the belief that you really needed to be something special, or you needed to be, 
right? You needed to be gifted to be able to do something like that. And, and what I've learned, A, is that that is not true, right? Any of your listeners, if they put their mind to it and you put one foot in front, one foot in front of the other and you commit to the process, then anybody can do it, right? We can, we can do so much more than we think we're capable of if we consistently focus on getting good at it. And that actually is one of the things that I focus a lot on is that I will never be the fastest. I will never win any races. I will never be the best at what I do. But what I, but what I can focus on is trying to be one of the best in improving Right. I can be I can be the best at you know making sure that I get my training done. Yeah, I'm putting I'm pushing way less power than a than than a professional bike rider is. But that's not the that's not the point. The point is that at my level or where I am right now, I can I can focus on doing the training or the exercise that is right for me right now and then consistently do that. And I think the analogy to, to your question around the motivation has also shifted dramatically. First time I did an Ironman, which was pre-fire, there was absolutely an aspect of also kind of being motivated a little bit by what people thought about that, right? Again, going back to the, some of those Facebook posts, it's like, oh, I'm training for an Ironman. Oh, I just did Ironman Canada. That is no longer important to me. My goals in the sport, my goals in my family, my goals at work are really not uh, externally motivated anymore. Uh, and my goals in Ironman are not about times. My goals in Ironman are about really, like, really trying to deliver anything or everything that I'm capable of that day with the body that I have. Um, and there's a physical component to that. There's a, there is a, there's a very big mental component to it. And I honestly think that that is, that is why I love Ironman triathlon is that I know that, you know, six or eight or 10 times during that event that I, that my mind will start asking me is like, what, what on earth are we doing this for? Right. Why, why did, why did this seem important? And who cares if you walk the rest of the marathon? Into, sorry, it's a very long answer, but but to tie that back to the adversity that that we talked about earlier, I honestly think I'm using those races as an opportunity to put myself in a position where I know on that day I will face adversity. I know it will be hard, and and I almost don't care who you are. That marathon at the end, everybody is going to have that conversation with themselves, right? To say, why don't I just stop at the next A station? Why don't I either pull out of the race or why don't I just walk the rest? And to me, that is a wonderful opportunity to have that conversation with yourself and to quote unquote meet yourself in a very, very raw and tired and very exposed state. And those moments. Are, are, are really probably honestly my motivation for continuing to train, for continuing to race, because, because those, those are opportunities to learn something. Those are opportunities to overcome or to grow or to learn or to push my mind and my body to, to do things that I really didn't think that I was capable of. 
Well, it's, you know, your mindset and your, your persistence. I mean, there's so many, it's, it's like a, an analogy for life, isn't it? It's like, you just, you keep going, you know, you find a way you keep going and it's not, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like, I, I always saw like the term race. It's like, most people aren't there to win. They're there to challenge themselves, right? Yeah, sure. Somebody's going to come in first, but like, the idea of even training and, and, and being able to do it. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to do something like that. I just don't have the time. I mean, how did you, how did mm. you physically get all that done, especially in the old world where you were traveling so much? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you know, it was honestly, it was, and it is to this day. I think that's just, a, a, well, maybe I shouldn't say just, but to me, to me, it almost feels like it's just a matter of priorities um, in the sense that both pre-fire, but especially post-fire, and especially, I think, the lessons that I was able to draw out of my athletics, out of my training, out of my endurance training, uh, and when I realized how much that helped me deal with the fire situation and that experience, my training just became just became even more important to me right it is it is an important part of my life when i when i talked about earlier how 10 years ago i would have i right if if people asked me right we've probably all been at these cocktail parties right and you run into people you've never met before and the first question that people ask is so what do you do and and we typically answer it by describing what we do for work. That's exactly how I used to be. Right? Five, 10 years ago, I would have told them gladly for 10 minutes about being a partner at a consulting company and kind of, again, try to portray that very successful picture of what I did for work. Uh, when I meet, I haven't done that during the pandemic, but when I, when I now meet people and they ask me that question, what do you do? I never talk about work anymore. I talk about, I talk about what I do that I'm super passionate about. Uh, there might be work aspects in there, but I try to answer the question uh, genuinely in the sense that I try to talk about who I really believe that I am, right? My passion for training or my passion for endurance athletics or my passion for, you know, coffee, right? It could be, right? It could be, it could be anything. Um, and I think, I think going back to kind of the priorities, uh, that, has, that has just created a scenario where I just prioritize the things that are important to me. And training is an important part of who I am and what I do exactly as, you know, trying to get enough sleep and, and trying to recover and trying to eat as healthy as I can. Um, and I choose then to prioritize that over, over other things. I, I, I barely watch any TV as an example. I don't spend any time on social media um, and uh, and I had I had a lot of situations at work where you know my team or my colleagues wanted to go out for dinner after work, and that that then became right one of those things where they went out for dinner at six, and then they ended up uh, uh, right uh, then they went to a bar, and then you know this thing happened and that thing happened, and then you go to bed at one a.m. Uh, and 
I very quickly decided to say, you know what, I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to not do that because there's absolutely a social aspect of that that I really, really uh, prioritize and that I really value. But I just got good at, I think, communicating upfront to say, I'll go out to dinner with you. I'll be there from six to seven thirty, and then and then I'm already telling you now that then I'm going to go back and and I'm going to go back and I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get my swim done, and that wasn't that wasn't easy, but it but it felt but it felt good and it felt natural because I focused on what was important to me, and again I didn't focus on what others would think. And I'm sure some of them thought that I was a little bit of an oddball, um, but it made right. It felt it felt authentic and it felt genuine. And sometimes it's just difficult, right? I mean, it's not it's not easy when I've traveled eight hours one day and I get to I, I get to New York City uh, at you know nine p.m. and I know I should go run on the treadmill for sixty minutes. Uh, that's not that's not easy because there are a lot. I every ninety percent of the bones in my body, right? They're just telling me to just stay in the hotel room, just just go to bed, and that's the best decision. Um, but but then I somehow, right? Then I somehow usually then I somehow kind of manage to say, ah, you know what? I'm just going to I'm just going to put my running shoes on. I'm just going to go to the treadmill, even if I just run for ten minutes then that's going to be okay. And that makes it actually a lot easier to kind of put the running shoes on and actually get to the gym. And I actually firmly believe that the hard part is actually putting on your shoes and going to the gym. Once you're there and once you're doing it, right, then 99 out of 100 times, of course, I did not just run 10 minutes. I did the entire workout, right? Because I was actually really enjoying it. And, and, and I've, and I've learned, right, I have learned that. I know that I will feel better if I actually go do it, right? So, so honestly, it all comes back to priorities, right? And athletics and eating healthy and sleeping and recovering, that's important to me. That's not to say that everybody should have those priorities, right? But figure out, figure out what is really important to you and then make that a priority. And I think, I think anybody can look at the way that they spend every day, right? And spend the, I don't know, 16, 17 hours that we're awake every day. I do believe that everybody can find time where we're probably not being super, super, right? Where we're not doing, right? Where we're not being productive, right? Where we're not, where we're not doing things that really, that really make us, a better person or that really advances anything right where we don't grow we don't learn right i remember i remember kind of five years back right i mean i could i could literally waste an hour scrolling through facebook and i sometimes had that had that realization after it's like i just i just spent 60 minutes and and i did not get anything positive out of that i know what my neighbors is having for dinner tonight but that's really not useful information it's such a good point you know and it, it, it makes me think about even bit a couple of things one people tell themselves they don't have a choice oh, i have to go to dinner oh everybody's going there i might miss something and you're and you found a way to say look these are my values this is what's right for me and 
it seems like people people ultimately respect that. And some of them were probably like, I wish I could do that. You know, maybe some of them did later, um, you know, start to advocate for their own values or think about what they are and their priorities. I mean, I'm curious about something else too. When you when you shifted the, you know, what do you do from telling people where you work to basically telling people who you are and what you're about? How do people react? You know, you meet somebody new and they and they're expecting to hear about your consulting career or whatever. How do they respond? Yeah. I'd say it's a little bit of a mix, right? I think I think people, I think some people are kind of taken aback a little bit in the beginning, right? When they when they don't get the answer that they that they were expecting. But but what I what I then mostly find is that I end up talking to that person for 30 minutes because immediately after I start talking about what I'm passionate about or what I do. Uh, or what I think I stand for, I asked them a similar question, right? In the sense, and, and I've stopped asking, so what do you do? I've started asking, what would you be doing if you didn't have the job you had? Or ask them, what do you do in your spare time? Or what do you, what do you, what do you wish you had more time to do? And by asking that way, you, again, you sort of see some people taken aback a little bit by that because 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 the answer they had ready is now no longer valid, right? Because the fact that I am a, uh, that I'm a plumber, uh, uh, right? That's really not what I'm asking. And then what happens almost every single time is that we then have a thirty-minute or a sixty-minute or two-hour-long conversation about what I'm passionate about and what they are passionate about. Sometimes there's overlap. Sometimes there's no overlap, but I find it incredibly interesting to hear other people talk about that they, I don't know, that they, that they build model airplanes, right? Or, and there's, there's, that, there's that fire in people's eyes when they talk about something that they're passionate about, right? Which is, which is incredibly more interesting than you know, than to hear somebody talk about that they are an ER doctor at the local hospital or, or that they are an accountant somewhere, right? Or they are a tax attorney, um, uh, right? Because, because we've probably all, right, we've, all of us have probably had that version of that story too, right? Is where they ask me what I do and I tell them I'm, I'm a partner at a consulting company and then I ask them what they do and they say they're a tax attorney. And then we look at each other and we say, well, it was nice to meet you. Um, right? there's, no, there's, there's, no, there's no interesting conversation as, as, as part of that. But to, talk, to, have, to, have, to have somebody teach me for 60 minutes about building model airplanes or gardening or you know, whatever it is, it actually, it actually doesn't even need to be something that I'm passionate about. But to hear other people talk about their passions, that is almost always interesting. It's, such, it's so much more memorable, isn't it? It's like, okay, nice to meet yeah. you. Turn, you know, and and it's like they remember you. You remember each other. It's it's normally forgettable and awkward, or it can be. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, okay, <laughs> right. nice to meet you. Now it's memorable, right? And and, and I think you said earlier, um, fewer and deeper versus more and shallow. I think you said yes. something to that, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That 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 is um, uh, right. That is. That is really one of the things that I learned after the fire too, right? Is that is that what is what is really really meaningful to me are relationships, 
right? And and I think and I think in some sense the lessons that I learned coming out of fire is something that we all deep down inside already know, right? We know, and I learned that it was not the things that I had in my garage that were important. It's not the car that I drive that is important to me. It is the relationships, right? It's relationships with friends and family, and. And I absolutely also learned to surround myself with people who, who bring something positive to my life or where I can bring something positive to their life, right? So, so surrounding my people who inflate me rather than kind of deflating me was something that I've, that I've honestly gotten a lot more A, focused on, and I've also gotten a lot better at it, right? To say, my life is short. That was one of the other learnings from that fire experience was that I know, I know today that I got pretty close to not surviving that event. And that makes me every day value uh, and right, value my life and, and value my time here and not take that for granted. And I think there are so many parallels, right, to people who are cancer survivors or have dealt with, with kind of medical medical situations where I've spoken to a lot of people who went through something like that and they have very similar learnings. They have a very similar perspective on life. And those are, those are all the things that we already know, right? We know, we already know it. Um, and, but, oh, but I think when you go through something like that, where it really gets, you know, spelled out with capital letters right in front of you, that, that had a very, very deep impact. Uh, uh, on me, right? To to be to be much more selective, honestly, to say I would rather have a few but very deep relationships that are really meaningful to me, rather than trying to be, you know, trying to be kind of the super popular or uh, you know the guy who has a lot of very shallow uh, shallow relationships. Yeah, it's such a good point, and, and it's like we, um, you know, we think about okay. Um, how many followers does somebody have? How many Facebook friends they have? It's like nobody has five thousand real friends, right? That's not a thing. No, no, <laughs> and, no, no, exactly. So you know, a couple of topics for you. I mean, this is we could we could just take so many different directions. We'll probably have to do another one of these at some point. But like the, you know, one thought that's occurring to me is, I mean, it sounds like your your foot basically melted to some extent, and and so like, how did you? Were you thinking you'd ever be able to compete again? Was that ever a doubt, or like, what was yeah, it like? Yeah, back yeah, I, yeah. If we go, yeah, if we go back to again, Ryan, we're probably going to talk a little bit about gratitude here. But if we go back to that, to that day after the fire, when I was sitting in the hospital bed, um, I remember the surgeon coming in and saying, which, which, which I did not know in advance. Uh, but saying we usually we usually cannot do any surgery on burn wounds like that until 48, 48 hours after the event. So we said we're not going to take you into surgery until until the next day. Um, and of course they did look at it a little bit, but it was so yeah it was so burned and it was so charred uh, that he that he also told me that he wasn't one hundred percent sure exactly what the outcome was going to be, right? Meaning that they weren't exactly sure how badly damaged my toes were um, and whether, honestly, whether they, whether all the toes would kind of, were, 
right, would kind of make it uh, or whether they would have to amputate. And that, I mean, that scared the living daylights out of me, right? Uh, because, 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 because my immediate thought was, well, does that mean, does that mean I can't run anymore? Does that mean I'll have a difficult time biking, right? Um, I had I had a lot of pain in my in my heel on my left foot uh, and didn't really know what that was. But I but I yeah I was really really concerned about um, what impact that would have, right? Whether yeah whether I would be able to do the things that I really that I really valued. Um, and again, I just. I just, I really tried, right? I really tried to kind of focus on the things that were within my control. And, and that, that is something that I really try to focus on. And again, sometimes, sometimes it sounds so easy when people say it and, and it is not easy, right? It really is a practice, right? It is something that you need to learn and you need to continue to practice. But to focus on the things that are truly inside of your control and then to try to not worry about the things that are outside of your control, I think is so important. And that really, honestly, is what I really try to do is to say, what has happened has happened. And there's no way that I, that I can change that. My only choice right now is to choose how I react to it. And I think just, just the process of kind of thinking through that and thinking about what is inside of my control and what is outside of my control, I think that is really, really helpful because, because I honestly think that that gets you started already on at least realizing that there's something here that is uncomfortable, but it's also outside of my control. And I... And I honestly think in general, I think if people really sit down and think about situations that are difficult and you really sit down and think about what truly is inside of your control, it's probably honestly often less than we think it is, right? There are a lot of things that we really cannot control, but what we, what we are always in control of is our own actions and our own reactions to a certain degree to either things that happen or the way that we're feeling right now. So for me, just the process of kind of going through almost, almost, almost like a little inventory check to say, I'm, fe I'm feeling really upset and I'm feeling really, really anxious and really stressed out about this situation. But just, just that mental process of kind of acknowledging and and you know, allowing myself to feel upset or angry or sad, and then realizing that that's what I'm feeling, and and trying to figure out that that I'm that I'm having those feelings because of this situation, that helped me tremendously. And then again, it is it is it is really really difficult, and none of us are robots, right? It's not like I can just flip a switch and then say well, that's totally fine. It's outside of my control, so I don't have to worry about it, right? That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm trying to say. This is, this is, this is something that takes a lot of practice. And, and I don't get it 100% right, right? I probably don't even get it 50% right. But I'm trying to be, and I was trying to be very aware of it. And then slowly over time, when things then started improving, 
And I could see just a little bit of improvement. I could see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. I went through the first surgery and, you know, the results at least did not look as bad as we thought prior to me heading into surgery. Then there's suddenly that little, that little glimmer of hope that I can, that I can kind of anchor on. And then, and then really trying to focus on those. And then there is one positive point, and then there are two small positive points, and then four small, four small positive points. And I think that's the, that's kind of the way that I was able to kind of rebound out of that. And then I'm right again. I feel incredibly grateful that I was able to recover, and they did not amputate anything. And it was, and it was difficult. And I stayed at the hospital for months. And it was super painful and it was, and it was really difficult. And just learning to walk again was a process. Um, but I, but I, but I really tried to focus on, you know, kind of, kind of mentally just, I mean, well, well, sometimes, sometimes literally just put one foot in front of the other, right? Even if it means that I'm, that I'm, that I can take 10 steps the first time that I got out of bed and it was incredibly painful. But I'm, but I'm sitting here three and a half years later and physically actually feel really, really good. Right? But, it was a, but it was a challenging process to get from that point to where I am today. But, but, it's, but it's doable, right? It's manageable. Well, you know, what it sounds like you, you taught yourself or you learned throughout this is... You know, there's there's times where things are, happen, right? Somebody uh, breaks up with us, or we get fired, or you know, there's a natural disaster, whatever it might be. But then there's other times where, you know, when you redefined your career, what it sounds to me like is you you forced yourself. No, no adversity was thrown your way, but you forced yourself to grow and potentially took a risk there that could have, you know, it may not have ended well. So, do you think that that was like something you learned from this? How to how to get yourself uncomfortable and know you can, you know, work through it no matter what happens. Yeah. 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 I think so. Uh, I think so. And I think, and I think to a certain, <clears throat> to a certain extent, I also did some of that uh, pre-fire, but I think, but I think I'm much more aware of, uh, of the value of doing it. I, I sort of happened to do it uh, a couple of times in my life pre-fire, but I have tried to probably probably more actively or more deliberately, right? Whether it's through the athletics, right? Racing Ironmans. I have this idea that I want to try to do an Ultraman. I have I have ideas around, you know, doing 50 milers and 100 mile runs. Not, be, not because I think I'll be good at it, but because, but because I don't know if I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the job situation was the same. So, so, Yes, I yes, I absolutely think that I am that I'm seeking or I have learned to seek what I would almost refer to as kind of controlled adversity, right? Because there are these, right? I mean, the cancer, the fire, stuff like that. The stuff that gets thrown at us through our lifetime that we're not in control of, that we didn't choose, uh, but we're all going to have to face some of that, right? So I think the small micro controlled adversities, I think are almost like a little bit of a training ground um, for me. And I think they can be for others. And I actually honestly think that that is why I, and I think maybe even, maybe even a lot of endurance athletes are drawn to that because it is a little microcosm to learn to deal with small 
amounts of adversity, right? And again, that has nothing to do with whether you are gifted or whether you're good at anything, right? Because you could argue that at people who have never ridden a bike in their lives, it's actually easier for them to seek adversity by saying, you know what, I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to train so that I can ride 40 miles because, because I swear, right. Or promise if you've never ridden a bike in your life and you go out and you try to ride for two hours, well, you're certainly going to face adversity. That's that, that is going to be really, really hard, right. Whether it's biking or running or, uh, right, whatever, whatever it is, um, I think there is a gift in you know seeking some of those small, small controlled adversities. Where honestly, also, right, I mean, what is at stake is a lot less than running through a fire. Right, where the stake is, I might not survive this. Right, um, and I think, and I think you see some of that. Right, uh, you see some of that, and you see a spectrum. I think. In, in the things that I choose to do to kind of provide me or, or seek that adversity, right? I mean, uh, the, the worst thing that can happen is not that bad, right? I mean, the worst thing that can happen if I, if I try to run 100 miles is that I don't run 100 miles, right? That is different than the people who climb Mount Everest, uh, right, without an oxygen, where the worst thing that can happen is that they might not make it down alive, uh, right? So... So I think we I think we definitely see a spectrum of people who put themselves to kind of extremes, and then some people do it in a much more controlled manner. I do believe though that there's value for everybody to put themselves to just a little bit, right? And I think absolutely, uh, right? I am very conscious about the fact that that the reason why I like what I do in my spare time is that is that is that I look at it as opportunities to learn and to grow under a relatively controlled environment. I love what you said about controlled adversity and microadversity. I mean, that's such a great takeaway for all of us. There's, there's constant ways we can do that and grow and be in such a different place over. And I like what you said too, about seeing what's possible, seeing what you're capable of, right? You don't know until you, I mean, at some point, you didn't know if you could if you could do an Ironman or any of the three legs individually, right? And now you're doing it and thinking of other ways to challenge. Um, by the way, for everybody listening, um, can you share with us the name of that podcast, the one that I listened to, where you shared the, the story pretty much right after it happened? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's from it's it's from either May or June 2018. So it was roughly six or seven months after the fire. It is, it is a podcast that I did with, uh, with my coach, Matt Dixon, from Purple Patch Fitness. And it is, and it is, and it is the Purple Patch podcast. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, that was, uh, we, went, we went to, uh, we went into kind of the fire experience a little, a little deeper, and we talked a lot about this overlap between kind of the athletic mindset uh, and then going through trauma or going through adversity like this. Um, so, yeah, if people want to give that a listen, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I encourage I think, everybody listening to check that out. It was, yeah. it was instructive, and to listen to that and this, I think it's uh, your perspective. I mean, you had great insights then, pretty close after it happened. And now, you know, a few years later, so yeah, I'd encourage everybody to do that. I think you'll find it very helpful and interesting. 
Yeah, I think I think I was I think I was on I think I was beginning the journey when I did that three years ago. And then I think I've spent the last three years kind of kind of just sorting through a lot of the thoughts that I had back then. And and some of them, some of them probably grasped me more and kind of became amplified. And and then I've spent and then I've spent the last three years kind of kind of really trying to implement that. Uh, right and to uh, honestly honestly to really to really also kind of test out to see were these just thoughts that I had immediately after the experience but I honestly wasn't sure right if it was if it was really deeply rooted or really deeply anchored one of the things one of the things I remember talking about back then was that I hope I hope that these learnings stay with me I hope that I do not find myself um, uh, myself two years after the fire, just 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 going back to exactly who I was before, right? I really, I really hoped back then that it would be that it would be more meaningful, and that I actually would be able to use it. And the last three years have been incredibly difficult, right? I, I, I and again, I think it's really important to talk about that too, right? That that I've had I've had periods where I feel where I felt really bad and where I felt really depressed um, and where I really struggled um, uh, with kind of dealing with a lot of that, right? And and so again, when I talk about adversity, I, I right, I really think it's important to underline that going through adversity or dealing with adversity is not is not is not pleasure right no nobody's nobody's going to think that that is that that's particularly fun or that uh, or that or that it's exciting but having said that i really do fundamentally believe that it is always an opportunity to grow and to learn right and i think that that really, that I think really is kind of the, is, is kind of the underlying uh, learning that I have had. And then I think going back to what we were just talking about, some of those micro, right, right micro adversity or, 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 you know, control adversities. Sometimes I think there's value in doing things because they are difficult, not despite them being difficult, but because they are difficult, right? And that is something that I try. And again, I don't get this right all the time, right? But, but that's something that I really try to focus on is that sometimes the value is, right? The value of doing something is the struggle or, or the stress or the adversity or the headwind or riding uphill. I love that message. I mean, that's a that is such a great way to close is to 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 get ourselves to do things because they're hard. You know, that's the that's a that's a great mindset to have. And Lars, I mean, this has been great just having you share this journey, this ongoing journey, the perspectives, the mindsets. Um, any final um, thoughts you'd like to share as we wrap up today? Yeah, try to. I mean. If any of this resonates with any of you, try to think about try to think about how you can how you can challenge yourself. Try to be very aware of of what emotions you're feeling 
and try to try to maybe learn how to pinpoint why you're feeling that and 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 whether there's anything within your control that you can that you can really influence to change that and it it and it might take time and then i think the final thing is i think a lot of us haven't have have kind of a natural natural tendency to attach to a story that we tell about ourselves. And sometimes I think we tell ourselves a story about ourselves and try to think about that. Try to think about what story are you telling both yourself and others about yourself and think about whether that whether that's the right story, whether that's the genuine, authentic story. And Sometimes I think, I think we have a tendency to kind of tell a story that where we, where, we, where we are victim of circumstances or where we are victim of adversity or we are a victim of something that is outside of our control. And I think it's really important to not allow yourself to attach to a victim story, right? Try to think about what is within your control. What can you do today to just move you a 16th of an inch closer to kind of the genuine, authentic story and don't be a victim? Well, that's a, that's a great message. And, you know, as, as we close, uh, what, a, what a great challenge for all of us to get out there, challenge ourselves and, and see what we're capable of. And let's, uh, let's all go out there and do that. Lars, thanks for being here with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. It was a it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Likewise.